0: Hello, I'm Tom Standage, Deputy Editor at The Economist, and this is The World Ahead. Over the past seven episodes, we've focused on some of the key themes to look out for this year, as featured in our annual publication, The World Ahead 2022. Today we'll explore the emerging technologies to watch out for in the coming months. The astonishingly rapid development and rollout of coronavirus vaccines has been a reminder of the power of science and technology to change the world. Although vaccines based on the new mRNA technology seem to have been created almost instantly, they actually drew upon decades of research going back to the 1970s. As the saying goes in the technology industry, it takes years of work to create an overnight success. Today, we're going to look into some of the other technologies that are bubbling under and might be about to burst into prominence. And where better to start than in the home? In particular, how technology could transform the way houses and other buildings are constructed. Sona Popat wrote about this for The World Ahead 2022.
1: 3D printing has come a long way. This past two decades alone has seen a massive rise in availability of the technology, as well as a huge expansion in how it's used. From the creation of artificial meats, to the printing of human bones and organs to perhaps one day eliminate the need for transplant donors. In construction and design, architects often use 3D printing to create scale models of buildings. But today, the technology has grown to such a degree that it's now being used to build the real thing. And in doing so, it's attempting to solve some of the world's problems.
2: In Africa, there's a huge deficit of houses. If you take Nigeria alone, it's more than 10 million houses that are needed.
1: Francois Perrault is the CEO of 14 Trees, a company dedicated to building affordable housing and schools in Africa.
2: If you look at uh, Kenya, it's more than 2 million. But the same applies to schools as well. In a country like Malawi, there's a need for more than 40,000 classrooms, according to UNICEF. So clearly, to deliver that backlog, we need to change the way we build, to build faster, better, and in a way more environmentally friendly as well.
1: And the focus at the moment for delivering this goal is to use 3D printing. But what does that look like in practice?
2: 3D printing is a new way of building which basically consists in positioning layers of concrete on top of each other, from the bottom to the top, printing the building as you progress in those layers is using a robot which is moving along several axes and the printing head moves in all in the three directions controlled by a computer positioning precisely the layers of concrete that form the house. In Malawi, what we've achieved is to print a 45 square meter house in roughly 12 hours and a school a bit bigger than that in almost 18 hours. Usually to lay the bricks, which is the most conventional method being used in Africa, the bricks or the blocks is going to take a couple of days, a bit more than a week. That's in principle. In reality, because of all the challenges people face on conventional job sites, it takes several weeks before the walls of a project, of a house or a school are completed. So this is what we shorten to a couple of hours. What we try to do is to make 3D printing something that is developed in Africa to build with the African people for the African communities. We've also been able to employ some of the people in those communities to be part of the project. So it's not something we do disconnected from the community. We always try to involve the local community in the process of building those units.
3: Really, you're going to start seeing homes 3D printed hundreds and hundreds at a time, and it will not be long before we're doing thousands at a time. And I think this is going to quickly become a preferred and normative way of building throughout the world.
1: Jason Ballard is the CEO and co-founder of Icon, a construction technologies company based in Austin, Texas, who are also developing construction-scale 3D printing. Like Fourteen Trees, their first ambition was to use the technology to demonstrate its ability to help with societal problems. So a lot of our early projects
3: at the company were really targeted and focused at social housing. And so we did a, a large social housing project down in Mexico, and then we've delivered a number of homes for people experiencing chronic homelessness here in Austin, Texas, uh, in partnership with an organization called Community First Village. And so we were able to set up the printer, and then we printed three houses at a time, because the printer can just move sort of infinite uh, in its long axis. And so we're able to very rapidly deliver half a dozen homes for people experiencing chronic homelessness in Austin, Texas as kind of a pilot project.
1: Since these initial projects were completed, ICON has gone on to build homes that have been taken to market and sold in the conventional way. But 2022 could be the year that this technology really makes its first steps into the mainstream.
3: By the end of 2022, I hope we have completed an entire neighborhood for the first time of 3D printed homes, 100 3D printed homes in a single neighborhood. And so I hope that you won't just have a small handful of 3D printed homes with, with a few folks that live in, but like an entire community that was built with advanced robotics and advanced materials. And you'll be able to hear for yourself the advantages and benefits of these buildings. And I think we will hopefully have thousands and thousands more homes planned so that this is well on its way to becoming an, a normative way of building in the world. And I think it'll deliver tremendous good. Francois Perot of 14 Trees.
2: 3D printing is really a new chapter. It's a journey, so I really hope that in a year from now we have made a lot of progress on our journey and on several aspects. One is to print more units, not only for the sake of printing again and again, but also because we learn a lot every time we print, we learn how to save more so that we can build those units at a cheaper cost, at a cheaper price, and also continuing to improve the design and the ink that we use so that the CO2 footprint of those buildings can be further reduced in every country uh, we print.
1: 14trees and Icon are not alone in what they're doing. There are numerous companies developing the technology, but the race to corner the market could lead to greater innovation as well as a greater emphasis on sustainability. But the possibilities for 3D printing don't just stop on this planet. We're engaged with NASA to develop an off-world construction system
3: with a near-term focus on the moon, but it has to be extensible to Mars as well. And so you can imagine when we go to the moon and Mars ultimately, there's no Home Depots, there's no hardware stores to buy what you need. And so we're going to need autonomous robotic systems to construct multiple types of infrastructure, and preferably we would like to do it using local material, so that we don't have to bring everything with us. We are very excited with the progress we've made. We are already building things in our lab today with simulated moon dust. And so we have a system that works and now what we're trying to do is is mature that system for the lunar environment. But I am very optimistic that having a moon base, having homes on other worlds is not science fiction. It is an achievable outcome. All we have to do is continue the, the will and resolve to advance our species in that way.
0: Tim Cross, The Economist's technology editor, and Paul Markilli, our innovation editor, have also been thinking about which technologies might be worth watching in 2022.
4: Paul, what have you got your eye on? Well, I'm watching what are now called electrical vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Basically, these are sort of big drones you can get in and fly. There are many different versions being developed. Some of them are really quite intriguing and it looks like in the next year or two we're going to, to start see some of these things not just flying as test flights some are already indeed airborne but actually starting to earn some money. Now, first of all, they'll enter the market in the way that a light aircraft with, i.e. you put a pilot in it, because that way the regulators don't scratch their heads too much and say, what is this?
0: Right, OK. I think these have previously been referred to as flying taxis, haven't they? And these are electric flying taxis. So they're sort of drones that carry people. But the implication there is that they're not going to have pilots necessarily all the time. And that Eventually, they'll be able to
4: fly themselves. Well indeed the point is you don't need pilots just as a drone doesn't really need a pilot but um, to get through the regulators if you put a pilot in it you can call it an aeroplane and probably get it certified and then with operating experience you can begin to persuade those regulators that actually you don't really need the pilot because the thing flies itself. I think the idea is that they'll be used for two, three, four, some maybe five people. They'll work more like air taxis, perhaps whisking people from an airport downtown or to places out in the country, short range, 50, 60 miles, that sort of thing. They're not really a full replacement for the helicopter yet, because the helicopter is more versatile and has to deal with very tough uh, operating environments. But as a an aircraft vehicle that sits somewhere in the middle of a helicopter and a light aeroplane, there does seem to be a market for them. There's awful lot of people certainly interested in them, not just amateur aviators, but also business people as well. And in an autonomous mode, they could carry not only people, but also goods and cargo as well.
5: Great. Tim, what about you? What have you got your eye on in 2022? I think one thing we're going to be hearing a lot more about is these things called heat pumps. And this gets at the sort of climate change problem because you can sort of put humanity's energy use into three big buckets, basically. There's electricity generation, there's transport, and there's heat. And we have ways to decarbonize transport with things like electric cars and so on. We know how to decarbonize electricity generation with wind power, solar power, and possibly nuclear. The big question is what we do about heat, and heat pumps are one potential answer. And the way to think about them is they are big fridges that work backwards. So instead of taking heat out of an enclosed space like a fridge does, they pump heat into an enclosed space and you use them to warm your house. And Because it's electric, if the electricity to power it is generated in low-carbon ways, then you've got a zero-carbon way of heating your house. And we've seen you know, several countries exploring these things. So in Britain, for instance, new houses will, from the mid-2030s, it will be illegal to build a new house with a fossil fuel fired boiler in it. OK, so heat pumps sound like
0: they're going to be a technology we hear a lot more about. Now, right now, I'm sitting here at home in Britain, and it's 12 degrees outside. How can I get heat from outside if it's colder than it is indoors?
5: Yeah, so th- this is sort of the magic of heat pumps, as it were. But basically, the idea is you can concentrate that thermal energy that's in the air. So the air may only be sort of 12 degrees outside but you can concentrate the heat in it and, and heat up a smaller space to a higher temperature so you've effectively got more temperature going into a smaller space but you have put your finger on one of the the potential limitations these things have which is as the temperature outside goes down they have to work harder and harder and harder to concentrate the heat so you do have the potential issue that when you need them most on the very coldest days they have to work the hardest And for some houses, particularly ones that are sort of a bit older and a bit leakier, they may struggle to get the house up to the sort of temperature it it needs to be. I understand that the other sort of heat pump is the ground source heat
0: pump, which takes heat out of the ground. Presumably, the temperature of the earth under the ground is a lot more constant. Is that a better way of doing things, perhaps?
5: Yeah, potentially and and you're right, you know, the temperature of the soil varies much much less than the temperature of the air does. The issue with ground source heat pumps I think is that is that installing them is a bit of a faff because you have to dig a big trench network in your garden to put the metal pipes that carry the working fluid. So the the upfront costs are higher, but once you've got one in, then you're a bit less vulnerable to to really cold weather than you might be with, with an air source one. Thank you both, and we'll be back in a moment to talk about another
0: technology that will receive a lot of attention in 2022, the metaverse. But first, a quick reminder that if you want unlimited access to the Economist app and website, or a printed copy sent directly to your door every week, you need to subscribe. Find the best offer at economist.com slash podcast offer. In October 2021, Mark Zuckerberg, chief executive of Facebook, announced that his company was changing its name to Meta. This is meant to signal his commitment to the idea of the metaverse as the next big thing in computing. The word metaverse was coined in 1992 by Neil Stevenson in his sci-fi novel Snow Crash, where it refers to an online virtual world. But Mark Zuckerberg has his own ideas for the technology. You're going to be able to
3: bring things from the physical world into the metaverse. Almost any type of media that can be represented digitally. Photos, videos, art, music, movies, books, games, you name it. Lots of things that are physical today, like screens, will just be able to be holograms in the future.
0: Tim, putting
5: 1990s science fiction aside, what in practice is the metaverse today? Well, it depends who you ask. If you ask 10 different people, you'll get 12 different definitions. But I think the most basic one is it's a sort of 3D sequel to the internet. So, you know, the internet today is made up of text and images and moving video, and all of it is sort of basically flat. And the idea of the metaverse is you'll replace that with an immersive 3D world. So instead of a web page, you'll have... A computer generated room or a set of corridors or a, a place that you you walk around in. Instead of clicking on hyperlinks to go from one page to another, you'll teleport between different environments in this three D reality. Okay, now people growing up today and using the internet
0: already think the internet is a online virtual environment. If you play Minecraft or Fortnite, you're already in that kind of environment. So how does that sort of thing relate to the metaverse?
5: Well it goes back to the point you made earlier that sort of lots of new technologies or technologies that are presented as new aren't necessarily really as, as new as you think. The history of virtual worlds goes back at least to 1978 when people were building these cooperative RPG games entirely out of text where you would all log on to the same mainframe computer. The idea of the metaverse, it's an old hacker dream and every few years this wave of excitement builds underneath it. But because the internet has spread wider and wider and become more and more important and because computers have got more and more capable, each of those little waves is sort of bigger than the last one. And so I think the question now is there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of push a lot of hype behind this how far will this wave go
0: now one of the companies that's pushing the hype this time around is facebook which has gone so far as renaming itself to meta a cynic might say that the company's just trying to change the subject here because it's got politicians after it and various sort of questions being asked about how it uses personal data and that sort of thing so isn't this just facebook trying to change the subject
5: it probably is partly facebook trying to change the subject but it's not just facebook trying to change the subject If you look at the company, their interest in this dates back to at least 2014, when they paid $2 billion to buy what was then a startup maker of virtual reality headsets called Oculus. That move, I think, was driven internally by the realization that Facebook came quite close to missing the smartphone shift. And if they hadn't got their app onto smartphones quickly and and quite early on, they might be one of those companies like MySpace where people go, hey, yeah, do do you remember MySpace? Whatever happened to them? These ideas have been kicking around internally within Facebook for a long time. And and Mark Zuckerberg and lots of the other senior executives are betting that there's at least a good chance that something like this will be the platform of the future. Now, all that can be true. And it can also be true that it's a convenient distraction tactic at the same time. I think you need to sort of hold both of those things in your head. And then the other response, of course, is that it isn't just Facebook that's interested in this. We mentioned video games. Roblox has something like 200 million monthly users. You've got these firms like Unity and Epic, which make the software that sort of underlies video games, that's very good at displaying and creating these 3D worlds. They're hoping that their technologies will be the infrastructure used to kind of construct this stuff. And once you start thinking about the, the future of the Internet in sort of metaverse terms... You can see little examples of it everywhere you go. So there's a very popular cycling app called Zwift. So fitness. Fitness is a potential uh, metaverse application. And in Zwift, you hook your bike up to a a sort of turbo training, which effectively turns it into a stationary exercise bike. And then you log into a virtual world with other cyclists who are doing the same thing at home. And you can cycle around the streets of Paris or London or a fictitious island they've created called Watopia. And you can go on a virtual cycle tour or a, a virtual cycle race. Um, We've got big companies, you know, pushed by COVID experimenting with these kind of virtual workplaces as sort of an alternative to Zoom calls. So Facebook kind of stole a lot of the limelight with the renaming. But I think it will be a mistake to think this is purely something that they're pushing.
0: Yes. And I suppose it is easier to imagine now doing things like going to work or working out in a virtual environment than it would have been two years ago. Paul, I wanted to come to you. I mean, you've been covering science and technology and innovation for for quite a while. There are ideas like VR that have been knocking around for a while and every so often people say, no, this time it's really going to happen. There are quite a few other examples like that, aren't there, that we find ourselves writing about every few years, but don't seem to make much progress. What are the ones that come to mind for you?
4: Well, a great one that comes round and round again is airships. And another one is um, robotic servants, you know, the person who'll bring you tea in the morning, he'll make you lunch. Well, the first one, I don't think is ever going to come around, to be honest, because as we were talking about earlier, these vertical takeoff and landing electrified flying taxis can do many of the jobs that the airships would do. But robotic servants. Well, you know, they never happened. Sony virtually gave up on the one that it was developing.
0: Tim, can you think of any examples
5: of these sort of perpetually uh, almost about to happen, but never quite happened technologies? I think for me, it would have to be hydrogen cars. And, you know, anytime the, the sort of supply of oil looks wobbly, people pop up and say hydrogen is the answer. And even until quite recently, a few big car companies like Toyota and Kia in, in Korea were sort of pushing this as a solution. But if you just look at the physics of it, it never really seems to make sense. To power a hydrogen car, you need to create the hydrogen. To do that, you probably need to create electricity. If you're creating electricity, why not just use the electricity directly to power the car and skip out the entire hydrogen step? That's always going to be more efficient. And as batteries have got better and better, the sort of one advantage that hydrogen has had, which is range, is kind of falling off. And I think it looks pretty clear to me that battery-powered electric cars are going to be future of, of, of at least personal transport.
0: Yeah, no, hydrogen may be useful in some other areas, but cars, it really doesn't make sense at all, does it? Thanks very much, Tim and Paul. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. You've been listening to The World Ahead. You can read more about emerging technologies to look out for in our annual publication, The World Ahead 2022, which is on newsstands now and available online at economist.com slash worldahead2022. This podcast was produced by Simon Jarvis and the executive producer was Sandra Smorelli. I'm Tom Standage. In London, this is The Economist.